Hello and welcome back to Spotlight on Women in Health Ventures, the podcast powered by Thea, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering women as entrepreneurs in healthcare. Jinyoung Fan is CEO and co-founder of Shuni, a company that provides CBTI coaching for insomnia. Prior to Shuni, Jinyoung was an AI research scientist at Accenture and a data scientist at Hello the company behind the Bedside Sleep Tracer Sense. This episode was recorded in September 2022. Since the interview, Jing Yun and her team have decided to wind down operations of Shuni. Nonetheless, Jing Yun provides insightful reflections on her evolving role as co-founder and CEO and on creating a niche as a direct-to-consumer company within the insomnia market. Thank you, Jingyun, for being on today. Very much looking forward to hearing your story, your path to co-founding Shuni, and hearing more about what you're doing to really change the treatment for insomnia. To kick things off, would first like to hear your story, everything that has happened to lead you to becoming an entrepreneur. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to have this conversation too. So my story about healthcare as well as entrepreneurship, I would say, began maybe 10 years ago when I was an undergraduate student at MIT. And it was a very stressful and busy time for me, which sure is similar for you right now. And I remember a common saying in school where they would say, there are three things, it's work, friends, and sleep, pick two of those. It was super obvious from the tone of their voice, which of those two things you were supposed to pick. And I think that was just the quality of the air at the time. That was the tone and the expectation from everybody. And I took that to heart and I was ambitious and I really pushed myself very hard to do the things that I wanted to do. But that was at the expense of sleep and of taking care of myself. And there are real consequences to that kind of behavior, especially over a long term. So for me, that came out as more depression type symptoms. And I think for a lot of people, this can come out as insomnia as well. So for me, I really didn't prioritize sleep at the time at all. And I actually thought sleep wasn't important. I'm going to show my age now. This was like, you know, 15 years ago where we were not quite aware as a society about what the purpose of sleep is. You know, there's a saying, I'll sleep when I'm dead. It felt like just this thing that you were unconscious for, but what the heck is that for? You know, so if I could reduce that down, I could live my actual life a lot more. And at some point that kind of clicked for us collectively. And I think a lot of that was due to Ariana Huffington's book, The Sleep Revolution, Mm -hmm. as well as my co-founder Matt Walker's book, Why We Sleep, which told us with a lot of scientific evidence that, hey, sleep is this thing that's not just more unconscious, but actually serves a crucial physiological function. And we really need to prioritize it to be truly healthy. So after school, I got a master's degree in mathematics. So I was very excited about data. I joined a startup called Hello that was making hardware sleep tracking for sleep. And the idea for that startup was really revolutionary at the time, which was that sleep is this thing that we spend a third of our lives doing. It must be important. So what's going on there? Can we optimize it? And as a data nerd, of course, I was very excited about that. And we collected a ton of data from, you know, particulates in your room, your light levels, sound levels, et cetera, and trying to figure out how do you optimize this thing called sleep? It was through my experience there as a data scientist, looking at all of this data that I realized this actually was a solution that solved most people's problems. 
this data wasn't giving us the crucial insight for behavior change to actually change your sleep. It was like, collect all this data. Mm -hmm. You looked at it, but now what? And that was when I realized there were treatments for insomnia and what insomnia actually was. And CBTI is this extremely evidence-based treatment that makes a lot of sense and is very effective for people. And that's how eventually I started shooting. Amazing. I definitely resonate with your experiences as an undergrad where you did not place as much value on sleep. Now that I am older, I also am realizing that, no, I need to dedicate the seven to eight hours of sleep, but I feel like it's difficult to achieve quality versus quantity. And I feel like I might be getting the seven to eight hours of sleep, but it doesn't seem like a very restful sleep. So my question is, how do you define what good quality of sleep is? A lot of people ask me this question because I was a data scientist at a, a sleep tracking company. They're like, right. well, what does that mean? Like if I get a sleep score, do I trust that? Or like, what's the right sleep score? And I think after all this research, I have to say, I would not prioritize a sleep score that much. These algorithms are very, very hand wavy. You know, I've created these algorithms. So I know that they're, you know, they're very rough. Like it's the best you can do given how messy the data is and how different people are from each other. So for most people, it's not going to be the most insightful score at all. The thing for you to understand how your sleep is, is to actually check in internally with yourself. Did I feel refreshed? Was this high quality sleep? And that can sound very simple, but it's also very deep. I think very few people can really sit down and check in with themselves. It requires both a sense of confidence that you can read your own body and also intentionality of, oh, I'm not going to be, you know, busy and looking for external scores to tell me how I slept, I'm going to check in with myself. And that can be scary, you know, trusting your instincts because we live in such a data-driven world that we just always want numbers and external validation. So how did you and Matt Walker get in contact? We were colleagues at Hello, the sleep tracking company, and we had our desks next to each other. And we were both kind of an academic background, like nerdy types. So I think we bonded over looking at the data and also doing research about CBTI. So after that startup shut down, Matt and I just sort of bounced ideas around of like, what is a project we could work on that could actually impact sleep? And eventually it became just a little bit more cohesive of an idea. We actually went through a couple of ideas, one being building a, a chatbot for CBTI, much like mm. Wobot is doing for CBT in general. But then eventually looking at our engagement rates, as well as looking at the research, realizing that what was really special and effective about a lot of CBTI is that human connection. Mm -hmm. So this is coming from a lot of research called the common factors research, which tells us a lot of outcomes outside of specific medical interventions is really due to the rapport and the connection between the provider and the client. And at what point did you and Matt think, okay, we're ready to turn this into a company. Now we're ready to execute. I think for me, it was also a hobby project. I was at Accenture after Hello working as an AI research scientist. So I had a full-time job and I was also working mm. on this, you know, in the evenings and weekends. And there's always this tension between how much time and energy you have for your hobby projects versus your full-time responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And when that tension became too much, I was like, you know what, I really want to dedicate a lot more time and focus to this. How did you feel about taking that leap? It's tricky. 
risks are very high for startups. You know, most mm-hmm. startups don't eventually succeed. And honestly, a lot of the path to get to the end goal, whatever it is, mm-hmm. an IPO or building a really large business, it's really tricky. And I don't think that success is guaranteed in any way. And I think for an entrepreneur, one of the key things is ego management, mm-hmm. which is this tension between you're looking to do something extremely ambitious. Most people in your life will probably react by saying, that's crazy. Who do you think you are? Why would you do that? And you have to have the confidence to say no to all of that and still go for this crazy thing. But then also at the same time, being humble and being able to integrate feedback as it's appropriate. The confidence has to be a realistic confidence where you can't not assess dangers and not assess reasonable and realistic probability of failure. So that's Mm -hmm. always the balance. want to take a step back. And so we've been mentioning CBTI or cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Can you describe what exactly CBTI is and what it entails? Yeah, I think classic academic CBTI is a lot of education. When I talk about CBTI, there's the educational component as well as the person-to-person component. In terms of the education component, there's usually four pieces to it. One is something known as sleep restriction therapy, and it's a common intervention that people recommend in CBTI, which is the idea that people with insomnia actually spend a lot more time in bed, and they need to restrict the amount of time in bed in order to consolidate and deepen their sleep. And this increases their sleep quality and also increases their sleep efficiency and their ability to stay asleep. The second piece is stimulus control therapy, which is a fancy way of saying that for a lot of people with insomnia, they've started to form this automatic association or classical conditioning between their bed and being awake. It's just every time they go into bed or they think about their bed, they think about being awake or stressed out. And that's a connection that we have to work on breaking in the brain. So there's ways to do that, which is, you know, if you start feeling frustrated in bed, you get out of bed. And then once you feel relaxed again, you return to bed. There's more techniques, but essentially the goal is to break that association. There's also the cognitive restructuring part. And this is when you say CBTI, the Mm -hmm. cognitive aspect of it. This is the idea that a lot of people with insomnia have developed some thoughts and beliefs about sleep. That's actually very counterproductive to getting sleep. Things like, oh my God, sleep is so important, or I'm doomed to have insomnia forever. So there's a lot of ways and techniques to start restructuring those thoughts and beliefs. And once you change the beliefs, behaviors also change as a result. And the last piece, which I think is actually very important, is meditation and relaxation. So training the skills to be able to let go of racing thoughts, to be able to relax more on command rather than being engulfed by emotions and overwhelming thoughts. So how does Shuni deliver CBTI for its customers? For us, educational component, I think is extremely important. So of course you have to get the science right and you have to get the strategy correct. But I think that there is something very special about the one-to-one human interaction. So for us, it is CBTI coaching. It's virtual, so we're conducting it over Zoom, but it is a one-on-one connection. What does the insomnia market look like? There's a lot of ways to look at this. The sleep market is something like $79 billion, which is huge. And of course, that includes things like sleep trackers, mattresses, even sheets and Mm -hmm. supplements and medications. We spend a lot of money on sleep medications. It's a good portion of that. 
So I would say a lot of the sleep medication market, obviously that's the demand for insomnium. If you look at demographic data for insomnium, the research estimate is that it's 10 to 30% of the population has what people would consider acute or chronic insomnia. So those are all the people who are actually suffering from this condition. So can you tell us more about what coaching entails and what that market looks like? So coaches do not diagnose. That's one of the biggest differences between a coach and a therapist is that a therapist has a license to diagnose disease. Mm -hmm. And they're also allowed to treat severe mental illnesses such as bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, very severe depression, whereas coaches do not diagnose. And Mm -hmm. it's more about how do we support you as a human being to live a better life? Coaches have been wrong for a really long time, but there's been a lot of movement in recent years to bring some regulation as well as professional standards to this area. So in the last, I would say five years, it's made a lot of strides. So a new organization called the NBHWC, the National Board of Health and Wellness Coaches, has been really at the forefront of bringing professional standards, adding credentialing so that Mm. you know that people who are trained with NBHWC credential know what they're doing. It's not just some random person you saw, you know, on Instagram or something like that. They have basic health training and also they're employing professional standards and ethics. And they're also employing coaching methodologies in order to help people get at that change. And it's still early, but I would say this is actually one of the areas in healthcare right now that's moving very, very fast Mm. because healthcare as a field just moves so, so slowly. Um, But coaching (laughs) is actually something in the last couple of years is moving so fast. The MBHWC was, I think, established in 2012. And in recent years, a category three CPT code now exists. So we're in the process right now of getting MBHWC coaches to use that CPT code. It's not reimbursed yet, but it's in the research and development phase where we're collecting data to show that there are real health impacts to have coaches. And that's setting us to the stage at some point at getting reimbursed and also having Mm. this be a much more common service within the healthcare system. And if you look at how fast these regulations move, getting a CPT code out in these two years, that's incredibly impressive in the healthcare industry. That can definitely help it become more integrated within the healthcare system. And I have peers going into family medicine that I can see them wanting to offer these services to their patients. Yeah, right now, a lot of the way that coaches operate within the healthcare system is basically in collaboration with physicians and family Mm -hmm. medicine. And for coaching, what areas do these certified coaches operate in? It's not just in CBTI coaching, right? There's other areas as well. What are some other examples? It's generally holistic. So most coaches in the training, it is an integrative health philosophy. Generally, when a client comes in, maybe they have some blood work that they need to optimize, you know, their LDL and HDL levels aren't great. Mm -hmm. And the goal they come in with is to get that changed. But coaching is not prescriptive. It's generally focused on what is a value for you as Mm -hmm. a client. And they actually think about clients as more coaching partners. So Mm -hmm. what is important to you? What is a value to you? And what is a goal that you can realistically start to achieve? and start Mm -hmm. making those baby steps. And those baby steps add up to a lot more in the long term. So if you are an NBHWC credential coach, you probably don't have training in CBTI. So that would be additional training you would need to have. What you are credentialed to have is general methodologies and wellness coaching. Coaches, again, they don't prescribe and they don't tell you what to do, but they are experts 
in the process of change. So they understand how do you get someone motivated mm -hmm. and how do you get someone to make progress on the goals that they actually set for themselves. Got it. That certainly makes sense. In terms of the companies that are operating within this space, is there a way to bucket the startups that are trying to address the quality and quantity of sleep? I think that the two main companies in this area are Sleepio and Somrest. And both of them, I would consider a digital solution to it. And they focus very much on the educational component. Mm -hmm. So Sleepio is sort of an online course and they've got great animations in order to teach you in basically an online class format, the modules in CBTI. And then Somrest, which is part of uh, paratherapeutics, they're very much into this new digital therapeutics space, which mm. is an app that teaches you the components of CBTI and gives you recommendations. And they want that to replace prescription medications. They do require a prescription from a physician to access the app. I think that makes sense to get people to use an app rather than just take medications, first of all. want to talk a little bit more about the business in general and what the business model is like. So want to first start with how you are getting your customers. It's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've gone through a couple of different business models. I think a lot of times people ask, you know, what's the right business model in healthcare? Do you do direct to consumer or do you try mm -hmm. to get reimbursement through an insurance mm -hmm. or do you try to get it covered as under an employer wellness plan of some sort? Right now we're direct to consumer, which means that we are getting our clients, you know, directly and payment is also direct and out of pocket and we do not reimburse. To some extent, we have advertised to some physicians, like family medicine physicians, mm -hmm. because I think they get a lot of complaints from their patients and typical family medicine physicians don't have the time to right. actually deal with that. So that's something that we have done, something that I'd like to scale up more in the future. Shuni's approach right now is, as you mentioned, direct to consumer. Can you walk us through, and especially for those that are trying to think about employing a direct-to-consumer model for their product, how does that work? Direct-to-consumer acquisition is not one-size-fits-all. It does depend on your business. So for example, if you are a direct-to-consumer medication company like a Hims or a Roe, that strategy is going to be very different if you are trying to sell something that's very services-heavy like Shuning is. For something like Hims or Roe, I think because the price point is quite low, you basically just need to get your product in front of eyeballs. And a lot of times, especially for medications, just getting people to see it is enough for them to buy because they already have that demand for it. Mm -hmm. For something that's like very services-based and also perhaps people aren't as familiar with coaching and aren't as familiar with CBTI, that's not enough. Us, we find that you have to spend a lot of time building up trust with mm -hmm. the prospective client. And I've had people who first encountered us more than a year ago before they actually converted into a client. Because they come in, they think about it, they do a lot more research, and it just takes time to build that trust. For me, that's partially why I try to talk and have conversations on podcasts, because a lot of this is trust that's built on the human connection. Mm -hmm. And for people to understand that there's truly a human behind this, and that it's someone that they could trust, they have to listen to these long conversations. They have to see a person explaining things, creating a lot of more in-depth content than just a meme on, on social media. 
I love that emphasis on the human connection. And that's what you're trying to do with the CBTI. And that is very prevalent in your strategy for obtaining the customers. Where are you at in terms of fundraising for Shuni? Yeah, we raised a pre-seed in 2020. And going through that process, what were some common questions and reactions from investors? There was not a lot of investors who had heard of CBTI, which makes sense. It is almost like a highly medical technical term. Mm -hmm. So if you look at a general investor, of course, they're not going to be familiar with it. I think everybody was bought in on the fact that sleep was extremely important. And most people, especially investors and venture capitalists, know someone with insomnia, Mm -hmm. you know, either friends or family or even themselves. So that was not a stretch in terms of understanding how large the market and the problem space was. I think the biggest concern for them at the time, somewhat, because at pre-seed, it's not really a big concern. And also what's top of mind for me right now is how do you do the go-to-market and Mm -hmm. how do you actually acquire clients and have revenue that makes sense and, and allows you to have profitable business in this area. What are some milestones that you're hoping to achieve before you go out and try to raise your next fund? In terms of raising a next fund, the things that I would need to have is a much better strategy of where we're going after a direct-to-consumer because mm-hmm. the economics of D2C, the effort and things that you have to do to get there, that's a bit more clear. But I think we also know that direct-to-consumer is very hard. It requires mm-hmm. continual effort. And CAC is also rising. It's a very competitive market. You're competing with other people who are looking for the same ads. They're looking for the same keyword bids. And there's just more and more content out there for consumers to sift through. And also, I do believe that for you to actually make something like this accessible, you also need to channel through an existing way that people are looking for CBTI, which is the healthcare system. So how do you actually get that sold through the healthcare system? Mm -hmm. What are your responsibilities as CEO and co-founder? How has your role evolved from when it was just you and Matt to where the company is today? I think we're still a very early stage startup. So to a large extent, my role is the same. For an early stage startup, I think a founder's responsibility is to get things to work. Whatever the highest priority for the company is, get that to work. What I have focused on day-to-day has changed over time. So in the very beginning, I focused a lot more on product. My background was in product and engineering, you know, data science. So I spent a lot of time coding at the time. Now Mm -hmm. I've spent no time coding. And that has over time transitioned into trying to recruit a clinical team, making sure that we're tracking outcomes to now my focus is primarily about growth and acquisition. Mm -hmm. So as CEO, I'm sure you're often thinking about the future, what the future of the field is going to look like, what the future of your company is going to look like. How are you right now thinking about what the future of the sleep market looks like and how Shuni fits into that? I think that my ultimate dream is to look at all of the prescription sleep medications and see if we can get people using CBTI instead, having natural sleep instead. I think that's going to take a lot of work, but it's going to be ultimately really good for the world. And I would feel very good about that. There's also a lot of other places in medicine where we're using a lot of band-aid solutions. 
and people would be much better served if they had the support to actually be truly healthy without depending on a lot of these band-aid solutions. And coaching can really play a big, big role in that. With regards to sleep, what are some common myths regarding sleep that you would like to debunk? Oh, there are so many myths. <laughs> one really funny one is that I feel like people are very obsessed with the perfect temperature for sleep. Mm. And this is the thing where I think a lot of people are obsessed with, quote, optimizing sleep, which you can, there's nothing wrong with that, but they sort of interpret optimizing sleep as in following precise rules that are the same for everybody. And this is just not true at all. And a lot of times, if you go online, you'll find like precise rules on the perfect temperature for sleep so that you can get the utmost, you know, deep sleep or the highest quality sleep or optimize mm -hmm. your sleep score or some such. A lot of times when people call me, they'll be like, well, I'm doing all of these things, right? Like even my temperature is perfect. And I got this like mattress topper that regulates my temperature and everything. And I just ask like, is that making you more comfortable? They're like, I don't know. I know that I'm supposed to have a perfect temperature. And the funny thing is, Yes, a lot of the recommendations on a lower body temperature when you're sleeping makes sense because as humans, our body temperature does decrease when we're asleep. That does help trigger deeper sleep. But if you look at the research papers, they're using reptoprobes to look at core body temperature, hmm. not at all a temperature that's measured on your skin or your environment or your mattress top or whatever, because your environmental temperature and your core body temperature is not necessarily the same at all. So the most important thing is actually just be comfortable and trust that your body is going to do the temperature change on its own instead of just messing with it so much. And if you wanted to actually lower your core body temperature, it's not about cooling your environment. One of the most effective things you can do is to go take a hot bath, which dilates your blood vessels and you feel warm, but your core body temperature decreases. That's one of the common myths I've heard. There's so many things that circulate on the internet with regards to how to improve your sleep. And I agree that it's highly individualized. And I think something with CBTI coaching, where they take the time to figure out what the needs are of that individual and then tailor the coaching to those needs, because no one person with insomnia is like the other. Yeah, absolutely. What are some anecdotes that you have heard from folks that have used Shuni's CBTI? I mean, that's what makes me feel good about my work so far, is that it really does transform and change people's lives for the better. I've heard a couple of times at the end, people will say, oh, a random benefit I got beyond just being able to sleep is that I forgot to drink coffee because I realized I just didn't need it anymore. Multiple people have told me that. And a lot of people will say, I realized that the changes was not just to my sleep. Like sleep was really the thing that got me interested in doing some work. But I realized that the benefit was really a lot more profound and all-encompassing in terms of my life. And I think that's the holistic and integrative health perspective that I take with Juni. Sleep is one of the dimensions of health, but health is holistic. You can't improve sleep while having poor diet, poor relationships, poor stress management. And also at the same time, if you improve sleep, all these other dimensions will also improve. Sleep is so underrated. <laughs> so I'm very happy to have you on to really bring to light how important sleep is to every aspect of our lives. For those that 
are looking for a solution for their insomnia, how can they access Shuni? We have a couple of free resources as well, but I would say start there because a lot of people maybe don't need one-on-one coaching. Some people can get pretty far with just education. That's not everybody. So we try to make the educational piece free and accessible to everyone. So we have a free app. You can download that. Just search Shuni on the App Store or on Google Play. And I also have a couple of YouTube videos just explaining some of the components of CBTI. So I do encourage people to go through that and see what they can get out of that themselves. And if they want coaching, then they can schedule it on our website, which is shuni.io. Perfect. For our podcast, we typically like to have some time at the end for general rapid fire type questions. So the first is, how do you take care of your wellness and mental health, especially as it relates to sleep habits and sleep hygiene? For me, I think boundaries is the continual challenge as well as the thing that I know helps me. So drawing boundaries between work as well as my own personal life. This also happens a lot for people with insomnia, I think. Insomnia and burnout can be very related, which is you start seeing work and things that might cause more excitement or stress just gradually creep into your evening. And then you expect to basically work until you sleep and like have this switch just flip and not allocate any time for self-care or doing any of the Mm -hmm. other human things that you need to do. There's a great book by Emily Nagoski called Burnout. And the research shows that we have to spend 42% of our day actually on active rest. So that does include sleep time. But if you look at 42%, most people are shocked by that. They're like, 42%? I don't have enough time to rest. But that's what the research says is if you don't spend that much time on active rest, which is sleep, eating, nutrition, without watching TV at the same time, or like, you know, working at the same time, connecting with people or meditating or whatever thing is that's truly restful, that's a recipe for burnout. That's just how Mm. human physiology works. So I think what that tells me is that boundaries are incredibly important. So that's always something in the back of my mind is like, am I getting my 42%? Oh, wow. That's a large number. (laughs) It is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who are some female founders that you look up to? There was a, I think a founder, Iman Abuzed for Incredible Health. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the first woman and person of color founded company to reach unicorn status recently. And that's obviously incredibly inspiring that she was able to do that. And I think her company is also very interesting because it's very strategic in the way that their go-to-market in the healthcare space just makes a lot of sense. Like you don't get to unicorn status just by, I don't know, bravado. It has to make a lot of sense from a business strategy perspective. And she's really cracked something that's very interesting. I'm also a big fan of Gwyneth Paltrow, actually. Mm. I think she's an amazing entrepreneur in the wellness space. She's more controversial and gets a lot of flack for some of the things, but I think she's really brought the conversation for wellness to be something that's a lot more holistic, that it's not just this disease kind of thing. It's not just, I don't want to be ill, but what can I do to actually take care of myself to truly thrive? And I think that public conversation has so much value for the world. I agree. I've seen a lot more use in the pharmaceutical space of celebrities in bringing more awareness to the availability of certain new medications. For example, for migraines, Khloe Kardashian talks about it. And then also when it comes for cancer screening, Ryan Reynolds, I think, tweeted a picture about like him getting a colonoscopy or something like that. 
And now people are like, I should go get a colonoscopy done for my colorectal cancer screening. So there's something to say about using these very public figures in amplifying and bringing awareness to issues that otherwise were, were somewhat in the dark. Absolutely. I think influencer marketing is really interesting. Of course, you want to be careful that the things that they're influencing is actually based in scientific evidence. Yes. It's actually good for the world. Like recently, Matt Damon was selling some sort of crypto that crashed and a lot of people lost money. So that's sort of the maybe the dangers of mm -hmm. celebrity marketing. Last question I have is what advice do you have for women, especially those early in their careers, as they're trying to navigate the healthcare, entrepreneurship, and innovation space? You're a student right now, right? Mm -hmm. And you're also planning on being an entrepreneur. And I think it's so wonderful that you're already, you have these hobby projects like, you know, building this podcast and just learning more from various people in the field. And that's exactly the way to do it. You learn by doing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people who are in medical school or in training to become a healthcare provider of whatever sort, I think it's so valuable if they start doing entrepreneurship in their free time. And there's a lot of things that they can do because the things that you get trained in, I think, in your clinical coursework is going to be significantly different from what it takes to build a company. And you always want both of those perspectives together. And that also helps you understand what hospital administrators and even insurance companies are thinking, what their perspective is as you go along in your career. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. I learned so much about the work that you're doing with Shuni, about CBTI coaching and just the sleep market in general. I wish you and Shuni nothing but success and I can't wait to continue to follow the company. It was really nice chatting with you. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Thank you all for listening. Visit us on Instagram at Thea Healthcare, on Twitter at TheaHC, and on our website at theahc.org for more content and to join our vibrant community of young professionals, entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders in healthcare. Special thanks to our amazing producer, Sarah Wetzler, and audio editors, Asim Jain, Nikita Gupta, and Taylor Liss. If you're enjoying our content, please consider supporting Thea by visiting our website, theahc.org, to donate.